0: Thank you so much. Isn't it good that our hearts are stirred right at the beginning of this morning? This is a significant day for us as a church. If we've not met before, my name is Sean. I lead the team here. Young people, we are delighted to have you in the room for us. It's important that you're here. Catch our heart. You're what God is doing through us in your places of education or wherever you find yourself. And those of you who are online... Great to see you. Uh, the room's looking good and healthy in here. I'm looking forward to the day that you can be with us back in the room. I've got to believe that day is coming, certainly for most of you. I know some of you, it's not practical to come in. Uh, last weekend, I watched my friend preach. It wasn't He preached last Sunday. I caught up with it on Monday. And he spoke from a passage in the Bible that I've not read for a while, from 2 Kings chapter 13, uh, it was for his church. It was a great message for his church. But as he read the passage, I felt the Spirit of God come upon me and animate my soul and illuminate the Scriptures to me for us here in Reading. I had texted my friend last night and said, Thank you so much. for your It was a great preach for your church. I'm going to use the same passage on our Vision Sunday. And that's often how God talks to us through other people. God has something for us, and it's going to be a prophetic message through this passage. What I mean by this, I believe that God is speaking through me, I've talked it through with the leaders, for us to hear and to weigh what I'm saying, so we're doing this at the beginning of our meeting, because this is the beginning of the year, and then we're going to make time for the prophetic, as we sing our songs, collectively for us as a church, so this isn't Ada's particularly for one person in the meeting who, this is one of those mornings for us as a church, while the youth are in. Uh, We've queued up the prophetic working party. They're already warmed up, so to speak. we want to make room for that, and we're going to end this meeting having communion together. So if you're online, that's where we're headed. Uh, Bread and juice, if you can get ready for that. It's going to be a great morning, isn't it? Uh, Maybe you've just turned up. This is just what you do. You've not thought about it. We've prepared for you. And we want to catch you up with what God is doing for us. So if you have a Bible, hopefully many more people have opened their paper Bibles this week. If you're tracking last week's, I certainly have. 2 Kings chapter 13 verses 14. We're going to start there. If you don't know what I was referring to just briefly, you didn't hear last week's message, do? It was a blinder. Here we go. The lighting's changed. My eyesight might fail, but it will come up on the screen behind me. When Elisha was in his last illness. So Elisha was this great prophet to the uh, kings of Israel and Judah. King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. He cried or he lamented. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows and the king did as he was told elisha told him put your hand on the bow and elisha and elisha laid his hands his own hands on the king's hands then he commanded open the eastern window and he opened it then he said shoot so he shot an arrow and elisha proclaimed this is the lord's arrow an arrow of victory over Aram, which was their enemies, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. And then Elisha died and was buried. I mean, there's this amazing story. Maybe you're unaware of the context here, but there was real pressure on uh, Israel's king at that time. They had a a real and pressing danger. That was the Arameans. uh, And the king realizes that he's lamenting the chariots and the charioteers because they're militarily... He's inherited a weak army, and he's being faced with an oncoming pressure of an army. And worse than that, he's a bad king. So he is not walking with God. So he's not walking with God. Militarily, he's weak, and there's pressure on his borders. Worse still, Elisha is dying. So Elisha was a nuisance to him. But he knew God was with him and did extraordinary miracles of salvation through Elisha. This king is facing real pressure. And then we have this amazing prophetic picture. So, Scott, you can represent the bad king. Jehoash, if you can come out. David, you can be our prophet, Elisha. Whoa! Come on in, David. So, he's facing real pressure, the bad king. And so it calls Elisha. He comes to visit Elisha. Elisha says, Go and get a bow. So he gets his bow. And then, as he draws the bow, the prophet anoints the king with his hands. So these arrows that he's going to fire come with an anointing from God. So then he steps away and he fires his arrow. We have rehearsed this. They are real arrows. So he then fires, and then what does Elisha say? That was the arrow of victory over Aram. So now there's this prophetic calling, anointing. Uh, By the grace of God, this bad king has been given power to do victory over the enemies of God. And then he says, shoot some arrows. So when he sort of bang arrows, so what he's now gonna do, he's gonna strike the ground further away with more victory arrows. And so the king shoots off some more arrows. But the issue is as he's shooting the arrows, he only fires three arrows. He doesn't empty the quiver. And the issue is he's now got the anointing of God. For victory over the enemies of God. For the benefit of the people of God. And yet he only fires three. Because he's so immediate. The pressure's lifted off him. He leaves the quiver full. And he gets a rebuke. And then the prophet dies. Thank you guys. You can see why this is massively animating. The spirit of God came upon me. I abandoned Ephesians, which I was preparing, because God has something to say to us through this passage. We can see the pressure they're under, sure. We can see the prophetic picture. We can see obedience. Do you see how obedience he was under pressure? When the king wanted a salvation, massively obedient. Gets a, gets a bow, gets an arrow, opens the window, shoots. And when he realizes he's got what he wants, he fades. His appetite for full obedience to God is low. He doesn't empty the quiver. Now why is that for us at such a time as this? Well, our vision statement we've been living with for some time now. If we could flick that up. God has called us to be a growing, Jesus-centered community that is bringing God's kingdom to Reading and beyond. That is what God has put in our hearts. That is what we've been walking to for 10 years, having it formed like that. But for about 20 years, in terms of we just knew it in our guts, we just couldn't spit it out like that. But we, we've done that now. This is God's calling upon us. And I felt as I heard, read this passage on Monday and reflected and met with God, I felt He wanted to talk to us about growing. Did you see that Elisha, he received the king for the benefit of God's people? Even though he was a bad king, even though the Israelite culture was going south, so to speak, he received the king because he loved God's people. He believed in the promises over God's people. And so he made himself available to grow in love. All of us know that There's a strange culture in the UK at the moment. For the last two years, it's it's, it's quite exciting. It feels like there's a breeze of God blowing through here. I'm good with that. If you're online, there's a clattering from the breeze uh, ventilating the room. We are well ventilated in Jesus' name. (laughs) We're well ventilated because we've been living in culture. We've had two weird years. We're now just starting to plan. Many of us have been more isolated than we ever imagined we would be for two years. And through that period, we saw the murder of George Floyd and the huge backlash on racism and institutional racism. And suddenly, that kind of evoked lots of emotions and is still evoking emotion, should still be evoking emotion and injustice around racism and institutional racism. And social media has played into that. We all know that, we all now know that what we look at YouTube is tailored for us and we all should all now know that what we look at Instagram and Facebook is all tailored for us so we are living on echo chambers whenever we are online and those echo chambers reinforcing and connecting us with people who already think like us is massively polarising us all and it's driving this cancel culture if I don't agree with you I'm going to cancel your music I'm going to cancel you speaking. If I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to remove myself from you. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. And so we're losing our ability to disagree and debate well. That that's all going on around us. And into that environment, we are going to grow in a love and unity for the people of God. And we're going to pursue Jesus. This is what Jesus said the church should be like. We need to start with the church. Because that culture is in our church. Because the way some of you talk around face masks and vaxxing and anti-vaxxing is driven out of the culture, not from the Bible. And I love you. I love you. The way some of us are disagreeing, or some of you are disagreeing with each other, that's from the culture, not from the Bible. This is what the Bible says. We're going to grow in love for each other. It's what the Bible says. John 13:34. A new command I give you. It's a command. It's not a choice. It's not an emotion. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He gave himself, you know the story, he gave himself up for us. Chill out, guys. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're supposed to be known as followers of Jesus, not by what we profess, but how we love. We've got to grow in that. Jesus also said this in John 17, 11, about unity. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. We, our church, and the other churches in our town are supposed to have a unity about us and have a sense of oneness about us that somehow reflects Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Boom. We've got to grow in unity, haven't we? How we talk about other churches, how we talk about the bride of Christ. Don't shame the bride of Christ, please. Jesus isn't. Now, it sounds like a bit of a harsh tone. I don't mean to that because I believe, sisters, brothers, that we have this incredible anointing upon us to disagree well, to express love well, to express unity well. We say in our church, if you're a Christian and you're 80% happy with what we're doing, you're in. Throw your lot in us for the gospel of Jesus. If you consider yourself mature, 60% for you. 60% and happy with how we do things, but we're going to do it for the gospel, for the bride of Jesus Christ, we're all in. Less than 60, it's a bit scratchy and bumpy. There may be another church for you in the town of Reading. But hey, we're in on this. There's an anointing upon us. I want to ask, I feel that God is saying to us this year, we're going to empty the quiver on loving the church. And expressing unity in the church, certainly in this room, as we process all that God has for us to get through this year of finding each other and how we're relevant. We're going to express love and we're going to empty this quiver for Jesus. Are you up for that? Yeah. That's what he's talking about. That's one of the contributions we're going to bring to the wider bride. We can talk about this stuff with love and unity. We're clear. We're going to grow in that. Second thing, I felt the Holy Spirit put on me. We're going to be growing, but we're going to be Jesus-centered. We're going to be Jesus-centered in in kind of a different, nuanced way. Jehoash, did you notice that he came to the prophet for a saviour? He sought out the prophet because he needed a saviour. But he wanted a saviour more than he wanted a lord. He doesn't actually want to do all that the prophet said. He just wants a saviour. I'm hoping you're tracking where I'm going with this. You see, Jehoash, he missed the big picture. The big picture wasn't the pressure in that moment. It was the big picture that was given to Abraham and that was given to Isaac and Jacob. The big picture that was given to King David, that God is winning a people for himself. It was because of the promises of God that Elisha lays hands on a bad king so he'd have some victories. It was all because of the promises of God. Because Elisha was aware of the promises of God, this big sweep of a story that God is going to fill the earth with his glories as the waters cover the seas. And so he even moves towards a bad king to have victories because ultimately God is going to win a people for himself. And so whilst it delayed him going to exile into Daniel, as we've read about, and into Babylon, ultimately, the people of God were resurrected. You see, we need to be Jesus-centered, which means we need to come to Jesus, to the prophet, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. But if you want to come to him as your Savior and Lord, you've got to know who Jesus truly is. And to know who Jesus truly is, you need more than four Gospels. Some of you know, even now, you've woken up now. You need more than four Gospels to know Jesus those four gospels are an account of his life. To understand the richness and the theology of what that Christ event did, those 33 years when God walked on planet Earth, to understand the richness of that, you need the whole Bible. Yeah. You, you, you're not going to get it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You, you're going to miss the whole point. What we need to, to love Jesus, to be centered on Jesus. You've got to know God's words, not just the four. When you think, what would Jesus do? He acted on a huge worldview of the Bible and the promises of God and how God deals. And he brought that all to his life. We too must understand that. On God's big story this week, we're running a theology course. And he talked about the temple. Can you remember the temple? Certainly it was this... Meeting place of God, first it was in a garden and then it was in a tent. And when they built the Jerusalem temple, right in the center of that structure was a small space that one man could go on one day a week from one tribe, from one nation. Outside of that was the holy place, do you remember that? Well, actually some other men from that one tribe could go to set up the bread and tend to the lamps. Outside of that was the court of men where the men from that one tribe... Uh, and, the, and Israel could come, and outside of that, then the women could come. Then outside of that, it was the, the court of the Gentiles. Do you remember that? So it was great that the, the presence of God was amongst the people of God, but actually with very limited access, and there was division all the way through. When you understand that imagery of temple, and when you realize that when that Christ event, when Jesus was amongst us for 33 years, and then he is now the temple of God. And and now he has come and now there's no division. That dividing wall of hostility was torn down at the Christ event that now all the nations and men and women, regardless of your tribe, can now come to Christ. Well, if you don't understand where it's come from and where it's going in the book of Revelation, we're all back together, you end up with a weird understanding of who Jesus is. And you miss so much of that. Yes, you can be saved, but being caught up in the purposes of God, you need the whole counsel of Scripture. If you're not yet on God's big story, you can still join. We're starting Genesis this week. It's going to be great. So for us to be Jesus-centered, we need to come to Jesus as our Savior, yes, we need to come to him as Lord. Daily, all of us should be submitting our life to Jesus as best we can. We've died to our old way of lives. We're now slaves of Jesus Christ. Your life is not your own. And so therefore, as we come to him, to, to submit to him, you've got to know him. And to know him, you need the whole counsel of Scripture and the Holy Spirit illuminating to you. Because you can't do all of it at the same time. It's exhausting and overwhelming. Sisters, brothers, we are going to be a Jesus-centered people. And I believe there's an anointing upon us to do that, whether it's through your RFC3, whether it's through Sundays, whether it's through God's big story, whether it's through your own devotional life, whether you're doing Bible in the air, whatever you're doing. I'm believing that we as a people this year are going to empty our quiver In pursuing the presence of God and understanding who Jesus truly is. The Bible is all about God's story of redeeming the world. And Jesus is the central actor. And to understand what he's doing for us, we need more than just four gospels. We need the four gospels. But to understand them, the richness, the joy, the wonder, the wonder of Jesus, what he did in those 33 years and is now doing, you need all the scripture. Come on. Come on, are, are you I, I'm hoping there's going to be something of a prophetic in all of us. Come on, we've got God's word. What a privilege. I, I'm gonna move on. I'm losing time. Growing, Jesus entered, and we're in reading. If you read on in one chapter in 2 Kings 13, you realize, you know those three arrows that he fires out? Later on in his reign, he recovers three Israelite towns. That's amazing prophetic fulfillment straight away. I'm believing. I'm believing that God has given us another kingdom opportunity. We've got another opportunity to fire an arrow, at least one, into the town of Reading. A year ago, do you remember we took on the CAP Debt Centre? Do you remember that? Right in the middle of a pandemic, we're saying, no, we're going to employ more people. We're going to take on this debt centre. Over this last 12 months, we've had 20 new clients to the CAP Debt Centre. Come on. Online, honestly, they're all asleep in here. The last 12 months, we started a cap debt centre. 29 new clients, 16 RFCers are supporting them. That's outstanding, isn't it? That's an arrow that we fired into last year. That's on top of the many other arrows through Starting Point, through Chapter 2, through uh, Home for Good, uh, through the other the toddler group. I spoke to B this week. We've had 30 families who aren't connected with RFC have now got a safe place to come with their kids, find other mums, learn from one another, and hear a little bit about Jesus. Now, we're now doing that in Katesgrove and in Whitley, two midweek toddler groups now. We're firing these arrows into Reading to bring justice and hope. But I'm believing, friends, there's more than that. This year, we're teaming up what we call Torch, which is where local churches form local hubs, geographical hubs. And we're going to work with the council so that and doctors and surgeries and pharmacies who want to make point of crisis referrals, they can phone up Torch, of which we're at the centre of, and they're going to have a group of people who are able to help them. So this week, Andy Dickens, he looks after Tuesday. We're supposed to get five a week. I think he had six or seven just on Tuesday. People who needed help. This week, as we're starting this project of Torch, a group of people from RFC are helping a lady who's being evicted in Whitley to declutter her house, it's their language, not mine, to declutter the house so she's able to evict and not have everything thrown away. It's a point of crisis contact And we're kind of taking the lead for that. We've freed up Andy for another day a week to lead into Torch for us to see, can we establish this? So we do need more volunteers for that. But the truth of the matter is, I think there's more for us to do in Reading. I think there's other issues in Reading that we need to start speaking into. That's more than Torch. Of social justice. Not just Point of Crisis, there's some social justice stuff going on we've not even gotten to. And unbelieving, it's taken us 20 years, friends. We're going to fire some arrows of victory for social justice into our town that has the anointing of God upon it. It's not because we're clever or bright or well-resourced. It's because God is with us. And I'm not even sure what they are yet. And I'm not even sure how we're going to fund it or resource it, but there's an anointing on us. We've got to fire some more arrows into our town Arrows of victory. Our enemy is not people. It's injustice. It's darkness. We've, we've got to do this, friends. We've got to make this a good place to be if you're a foreigner, if you're an alien, if your skin color is not considered as good enough or your postcode. We've got to do some This is our year. It's not a, a precise calendar yet. This season is us. This season is us. But more than that, we're going to be growing Jesus-centered in Reading and beyond. Did you pick up in the story that he opened the east window? Oh, come on. Please tell me some of you made that connection. The east window was opened. Do you know what we're going to do this year? Do you know what we're going to, by God's grace, we're going to fire another arrow to the east? Are you up for that? Last year, we sent 12 people, adults and children, on long-term overseas mission. 12 people. And they were joining Laura and Joe. We've now got four arrows, 14 arrows that we've sent out to the nations. This year, by God's grace, we're going to send Dan and Sarah and their kids. We're going to fire them, hopefully towards the end of the year. Again, we're on the tail end of a pandemic. We'll find out. We're going to fire them out into the Middle East. They've been searching for about five years now. And we've been journeying with them. And we we think as elders, and they as a couple, that this is the right time to fire them out. Which means for all of us, we've got to be a stable, sending churches. We've got literally people overseas depending on us to keep praying, to keep giving, not to blow up and fragment the church that's supporting them. They need to go long. So we've got to do that. We've got to have unity and love amongst us so we can send people to difficult situations knowing that home base is good. We will hold a tight rope for them. Be certain and sure we'll still be here in 10 years when you come back. If it's not us, there'll be others who as committed to world mission as you are. That is what we're going to want to fire some more arrows of victory to the nations. Now... Having said all of that, I want to sneak on a little bit more to 2 Kings 13, verses 20 to 21. 2 Kings. So, it starts cheerily. Then Elisha died and was buried. Listen, we're not depending upon anointed people. We're depending on Jesus. It's his church, his mission, he's at work. Groups of Moabite raiders, so this is not the Arameans. Remember, there wasn't... A Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, imagine this, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. That's amazing. It? Remember tombs in those days, they didn't bury them like we do. They try and find a cave or they dig it out of soft rock, put the body in there so their bones would be there. Moabite raiders coming. These Israelites are fearful. Remember, there are people under pressure. They throw the body in there. Not much dignity there. And then, incredibly, he's revived. I mean, I mean, that is outstanding. And I felt the Spirit of God say to me, "When you hear of all that God wants to do with us, as we, as a church, do the best we can to empty the quiver, to not finish the year feeling like oh, I just got what I wanted." But then I fizzled out, got distracted, left some arrows in the quiver. Because do you know what? He's my saviour. He's not my Lord. My life's my own. I'm not going to be fully obedient all the way. I'm not going to give my life away. I'm going to leave some arrows in the quiver. That kind of language can be, if you are in pain, if you already feel weary and tired, if you feel disillusioned with Jesus, you could feel massively condemned right now or hopeless even. And the faith of me at the front—I've clearly had a great week in God. I know I'm preaching; that feels so unattainable for you. I feel that right now, this is a gospel moment. You know, all of us need to keep throwing ourselves on Jesus. We're never going to find his bones because his tomb's empty. We come to someone far greater than Elisha. Don't worry about his bones. You don't need Elisha's hand. You don't need my hands anointing you for some great t- I'll, I'll do it in Jesus' name. You don't need my hands. You need the hands of Jesus who calls you. And you throw yourself. As, but maybe you, you're in good health like me and you're in good heart, full of faith. I need to throw myself on Jesus every day. Jesus, I'm at the end of myself. You've got the bread of life. Please revive and renew me. Use my best endeavors today. I've got my fears and worries and anxieties and my joys and hopes. I bring them all on you. I throw myself on you. I died to my life. Today, raise me to your life. Do the same as me. Maybe you need your friends to help you throw yourself. Maybe you feel you are as, as good as dead, like Abraham. You know, you're dry and shriveled up. What have you got? But God. And it's your faith. Faith in Jesus, faith in him giving everlasting life, resurrection life, the, the spirit of God clothing you, not just some hands on you, the spirit of God within you, clothing you. That's what we all need, isn't it? So if you're here this morning, well, you, Jesus sees you. Throw yourself on him. We, we come to him. If For those of us who are vigorous in our faith right now, throw yourself on Jesus and he will give you Everlasting life. We're going to empty the quiver this year by God's grace. He has anointed us to shoot arrows of victory. Can you just poke the person next to you in a socially distanced way and say, Come on, you have been anointed to shoot arrows of victory. Come on, give them a poke in Jesus. If you're online now, if there's no one else around, poke yourself and say, I am anointed to shoot arrows of victory. For the purposes of God. I'm believing. I am believing. I am asking God. Please join me in your prayers. I'm believing that we're going to shoot. Arrows that we grow in love. And unity. For the benefit. Of all people. But especially God's people. For all people. But especially love and unity. Empty your quiver. In love. What does love demand of you? What does love demand of you? What does unity demand of you for the gospel? I'm believing that we're going to fight hours of victory so that we know the richness of Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, ultimately it means we need scripture illuminated. We need an appetite for God's word so we see what he's doing and who Christ truly is. That we would fire this year we fire new arrows of victory into Reading for his victory and for his kingdom to come in Reading. That there would be no more, I want to keep, there is still racism and institutional racism. There's still rife sexism in our town. It's so ugly and we haven't even got to the rich and the poor and how we treat foreigners and how we talk about the traveling community. We have got so many more arrows to fire, not in pride, because of an anointing upon us in God. We've got to draw back our bow and fire some more arrows to the nations. Maybe not all to the east, we're maybe going to open up some new windows to the south and the west, draw it really far. And then we're going to keep throwing ourselves on Jesus. This year, I'm believing we're going to keep finding. Everlasting life, resurrection life in Christ, faith to go again. So if you're able to, can you please stand? I think the band's going to come back up and lead us in a time of singing.